Hi, everyone. I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Zach Mack. And this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. Hi, everyone. We're back for season two. I mean, how exciting is this, Zach? I know. Can you believe it? I mean, no, it was like I, only I can't. yesterday like, we, we were signing it. off. Yeah, we did. We the, the I know. I mean, we, we had our little get together over the holidays of, with... You know, with we Miracle, did but, with Joanne. But, yeah, it feels good to be back. New year, new season. Zach, it's been a. It's we've missed you here. We've missed you. I've missed you. The team has missed you. We are so thrilled to be doing this for another season. I can't believe the success of season one. I yeah. Honestly, if I look back at it now, I've had enough time to digest, and then you know, it's like going back over something you've written or you know made for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm so happy with with where we started last season and where we finished it. Uh, we we grew so much, and I feel like this season we're already we've got a good team, and we're gonna make so much more. We're gonna have so much more great episodes coming through. Yeah, very excited with some of the people we get to talk to already, and I know that's only gonna get better as time goes on. Yes. So yeah, I can't say I uh, I haven't been too excited about this. I've been thinking about it a lot, and I'm ready to go. All right, I love it. I love it. I mean, and it's been a long winter, hasn't it? Oh my God. I had I had all these holiday plans. I thought to myself, oh, you know, we recorded that episode with Joanne. I put the tree up literally right after we recorded that episode because I was so excited right, from all of her talks about Christmas yeah. and eggnog and everything else. I mean. For our listeners, it was November when we recorded that, so it wasn't really exactly the it wasn't the time yet. It was pre-Thanksgiving as well. This is the year where you really needed that extra boost, I feel. So Oh yes, agreed, agreed. But you know, I I went home for the holidays. I had a full two-week break, which was also amazing. I don't normally get that much PTO, but I saved it up and I said I'm gonna take two full weeks off. I had all these holiday plans and then all my friends got COVID and I, luckily I did not. And they're all fine. Thank God. But there went all of my holiday plans. You know, it was like, okay, I, I was making excuses to go to Target. It was like, I'm uh, uh, oh, I'm out of a roll of tape. I better walk to go to Target because there was literally <laughs> nothing else to do. That was the, the week of everything happening like that. And, and it's funny too, because we were out of New York for a chunk of it. We went down to, you know, to visit family in Florida and coming back, the city still felt very different. So, you know, we finished last season, all these these signs of optimism and not that things weren't looking perfect then, but they were looking a lot better. So that stumbling block, you know, it, it had me thinking more about what's going to mean for who we talk to this season and also just like planning out everything again, because yeah, here we are, you know, finishing up, you know, f- finishing up the summer with this idea that things are going to be really behind us by mm-hmm. the time we start season two up. And here we are dealing with a very different version of the virus and a, and a Somewhat familiar, but somewhat different set of problems. So, yeah, absolutely. Again, nothing, no shortage of stuff to talk about in this industry, uh, as there hasn't been for, you know, for ever, but especially in the last two years. Totally. Well, and speaking of that, we have an amazing guest that's coming on with us today for episode one. His name is Federico Castellucci, and he's the president and CEO of Atlanta's Castellucci Hospitality Group. Um, he's been in the family business his entire life. It's it's crazy. He's got such a good story to tell. I can't wait to talk to this guy because I've heard about his restaurant so much, even though I've never lived in Atlanta. My friends down there, they they are basically household names. Yeah. And he he seems like someone, like everything I've learned about him, he's really come up in the industry and he has a very unique way of, of approaching problems, but also he seems to be pretty successful at getting things up and running. So I think we're going to learn, learn a lot talking to him. Pretty excited. Yeah. And I also think from the back of house perspective as well, and a lot of the operational efficiencies that he's implemented and some of the technology, which I'm excited to talk to him about as well. 
that he was an early adopter of and seems to be really utilizing uh, yeah, in his absolutely. restaurants. So Can't let's wait. kick it off. Let's kick it off. This is amazing. I'm so excited. We have our first guest of season two of So You Want to Run a Restaurant. Um, Frederico, thank you so much for joining us today. Zach and I are thrilled to have you on the show. Yeah, stoked to be here. Yeah, Frederico, we're really, really happy to have you here. It's it's great to talk with you. Just kicking off season two with you. Um, so I just want to kick things off with like a good kind of basic question that we try to work with people in the very early parts of our interviews here. But uh, you're what people would call a lifer in the industry when it comes to working <laughs> yeah. in restaurants. Um, I was wondering, could you tell us what's it what's it been like to kind of grow up working in your family's restaurants uh, and what made you want to pursue it as a career at some point? Yeah. So, you know, like growing up in the family business was super unique. Like I had a front row seat to like my dad as an entrepreneur, like multiple times, um, ups and downs. And so, you know, it was it was it was challenging. I mean, we we he started his businesses in Rhode Island. Um and and then in the late 90s or mid to late 90s, um, all of the businesses he created in uh, Rhode Island had failed. And so he was looking for a fresh start. And essentially, he picked Atlanta out of a Forbes magazine of fastest growing cities in the country. It was actually Duluth, Georgia, which is a suburb. It's like one of the fastest growing towns in the country, according to Forbes ah. magazine at the time in 1997. And uh, so he packed us, he packed us into a <laughs> Volvo station wagon, three kids, a dog and a cat. We drove down South with really no plan. Um, and so, you know, I, I saw kind of him in his businesses in Rhode Island, but I was pretty young. Um, when we moved down to Atlanta, he started a restaurant, you know, uh, about a year and a half, uh, since we were down here, found some partners and, that was a restaurant called the Roasted Garlic out in the suburbs. And he and I were the only two line cooks when we opened the restaurant. So we literally did everything like wow. uh, oh, wow. from start to finish, open to close every day. Um, and we didn't have managers either. You know, like when you're the only two line cooks and you own the restaurant, it's like there's no management. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's just kind of how it works. Uh, and so, yeah. So anyway, we, you know, we uh, that was kind of like my uh, intro to the business. And I, and I loved it at the time, like as a teenager, you know, work in the line, saute, like it's athletic, it's team oriented, it's physical, it's like sports, you know, and it's super fun. And so, so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And, you know, as soon as we became successful enough, he kind of like put the management of the whole kitchen on me. So I remember I pay, I paid out the entire team in cash every Saturday night. And so it was like, you know, they come into the office and I have a stack of cash and I pay them out. It's like, so nice. old school, like total mafia. So <laughs> Italian restaurant. It does make you feel um, so like, cool to be but, able to do that though. Doesn't it? Like, the, yeah. Oh, totally. Especially that. And age. like, you know, you, and then you like stick some extra in your pocket because you're like, no one's going to know this is gone. So now, now, now it's mine. So, um, anyway. And then, you, and, and then you jumped to, sorry, but you jumped to 2022 now and you're like, cash what up? Yeah, yeah, Penny yeah. shortage? There's there's no cash anywhere. Yeah, that's right. People still get paid like this? Yeah. Do you have a Venmo app yeah, for something? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, and you was, know, it, what was it, it like? Was it, it was, was it also? I know what it's like to work alongside family sometimes, but especially in the heat of a kitchen, was it kind of tough being alongside like oh, just you sure. and your dad running stuff? I mean, like that must have been wild. Oh, uh, we used to got into like battle, yeah. battle royale. I mean, he like one, I remember one time he like threw it. I was like 
I, I told him to go F himself. And so as a 13 year old, 14, 15 year old kid, <laughs> like in the like full, full on. And he took a saute pan and literally hurled it across the kitchen at my head. Like I had to duck. <laughs> oh um, my God. Yeah. I, you know, I was a, I was a punk ass kid, you know? And so I was just like, and a line cook. And I thought I was cool running shit. And so it was, uh, it, it was, it was funny. I, I almost got, uh, stabbed by one of our line cooks um what? one time so that was that was also super interesting um you know and you know but we we try to professionalize the business and and this is kind of where i started learning more about it and he wanted to expand so we started expanding and um the expansion failed again and and uh and then we kind of like a few fast forward a few years we ended up kind of in the same spot we were when we moved to atlanta all the businesses had closed we'd lost everything um rolled it into another um, small Italian restaurant um, type gig. Similar story, one unit was really successful. You know, he was running it with my mom and um, and then we tried to expand it to future units and it didn't work. And so, mm-hmm. um, mm. you know, I graduated from school and I kind of had like a crossroads where it was, you know, go to New York and try to get a job as a banker or consultant or something like that, like all my friends were doing, um, or come back home and try to salvage what was left of the family business. At the time it was, you know, um, we were down to one restaurant and it was losing money and, and we had no money left. And so, um, you know, we were the first year I took over, I think we had $40,000 in bounce check fees. Um, so just the money, the bank charges you to bounce your checks. Um, so it was a it was a tough time, and you know I cut my teeth by taking over one of the closed restaurants and and uh, running it, reopening it. I had a customer that I knew had some money, so I asked him for a ten thousand dollar loan to get the liquor license to reopen the restaurant. Yeah. and he was like, "Me, me, me my, my house in fifteen minutes." And I, I met him in his went to his basement and got out ten grand in cash and handed wow. it to me like, "I owe you <laughs> like on a handshake." Yeah. 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 I I, I feel like you're writing your own Anthony Bourdain book as we speak, The Kitchen Confidential. I feel like there's gotta be way more there. I mean, we're pulling out little stories right now. I can only imagine if we had like two hours with you, what we would uncover. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's (laughs) wild. I mean, just to show you like what, what it's like growing up and running restaurants and doing all that stuff. It's it's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, especially at that phase too. I don't know if it was me being young, but like seeing that sort of thing when I worked in restaurants at that age, I remember just feeling like, man, it's like, this is so wild. I'm like, yeah. you know, the front looks like one, the front of house looks like one thing back of house is totally different. Yeah. And just like seeing that, like, I, I just thought it was like, oh, maybe it's because this is the way, you know, things work. And I guess that's, that's what it was back in the day. Totally. Somewhat totally. Yeah. I feel like I'm dating myself at this point, you know? <laughs> It's like, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Cash and like, I feel you on that. Backroom deals and like. <laughs> well, speaking of which, well, also too, what you said before when you got out of school, I noticed that you went to school. You, did you get a degree in hospitality management? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I initially, you know, most of the kids that were doing that program at Cornell ended up being bankers or consultants or real estate or you know that kind of, of stuff. And so um, it seemed like that was the path to making the most money and. At the time, that seemed really uh, attractive because I grew up like they all want to take that that uh, major because I want to take the wine tasting course, right? <laughs> yeah, the, there's the wine course for sure, which I took as well. But you know, it's uh, you know, it was attractive because ev- everything I knew growing up was struggling in a family business. It was like we're always you know either 
short on, you know, payments to the landlord or the mm-hmm. power was getting cut off because we hadn't paid the power. And so, you know, that was always a really stressful thing. And I just, I knew that I wanted to go to college and I wanted to look, never look back and try to, you know, avoid having to do that. Um, but, you know, as, as they say, you get sucked back in. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we, we were, you know, when I was graduating, I also realized that like the people that were doing those other professions were not my people, you know? And so like, I was a restaurant person. I love the, like the camaraderie, the types of people, yeah. the energy, just all of it was, um, was who I was. And, and, and just like food and wine was my passion. Um, I couldn't just get really stoked about Excel spreadsheets. So as much as I'm, <laughs> I can do a good Excel spreadsheet, I, uh, you know, it was not my passion. Yeah, so, I hear you. Um, well, that's what I want to ask you. You very rarely get people who are both steeped in this growing up and then get to go to a program like the Cornell hospitality management thing. Do you like what I'm very curious because I actually don't know a ton of people who've graduated and stayed in the industry. They've all gone on to do yeah, other stuff, right. banking, politics, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like how compared to like what you learned working that line with your dad as a kid and the, all the times thereafter and, and what you learned in the classrooms. How do you, how do you feel like, what was the value when you're at, in your structured education versus the real world stuff? Because not a lot of people really weigh this out. Trust 20 is a proud sponsor of the So You Want to Run a Restaurant podcast. Trust 20's ANSI accredited food handler certificate training is the freshest course on the market and made with the worker in mind. It's interactive, entertaining, and the test at the end is even gamified. Yes, you heard that right. Get your new team members up to speed on food safety in no time. Today, right now, this second, you got to do it. Trust 20 Food Handler Certificate Training is available for individual and group purchases. Head to their site, trust20.co, again, that's trust20.co, and sign up for the newsletter to stay up to date because Trust 20 will also be launching a food allergy certificate training this spring. Get your team a certificate today. Yeah, it was a ton of value, actually, uh, that they provided because I saw like a path to how people did this successfully. Like all I knew was the struggle of a family business every day. And then I saw all of these different companies and businesses and, you know, people that were affiliated with these companies that, you know, were super successful. And I was like, okay, there's, there's a path forward here. Like, yeah. um, and so it was kind of a great opportunity ultimately because I was able to come back to Atlanta, have a, have a, even though the business, wasn't successful or making money. It was a really struggle. It was something that I could like test my theories and ideas on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that was really kind of like how it all started. The, the first restaurant, um, you know, when I was managing that um, without a chef or manager to help me, I had to do the front and back of house. And so you figure out like, you know, how to allocate your time to those very big activities and ways that are going to deliver the most value to the customer. And what I realized was that I could actually make more of an impact in the dining room, ensuring that every single guest had an amazing experience uh, and would come back and build relationships and invest in those relationships over time. Um, and so that's kind of where my business philosophy ended up kind of coming from that ended up leading to like the success of the future restaurants and the growth and trying to like, you know, create that culture that is established throughout the other businesses. And it it really is about like relationships and investing in those uh, relationships on a one-on-one basis and, and not trying to do too much. Like, you know, a successful day is connecting with one person and making sure they have 
an amazing time and that you get to know them by name and they come back. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of where it all, the genesis of it. Yeah. I also think it's interesting. It like anyone that grows up in a family of entrepreneurs or just in general that you said you were, it was so much work and you were dealing with failed businesses or businesses that were struggling. I mean, talk about, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to glorify the struggle, but it's also, or romanticize it, I should say. But I do think that there's something to be said about, wow, like all the lessons that you learned along the way. And it's interesting because even after all of that, after you graduated, you decided to go back into the family business. And Mm -hmm. then, so tell us what happened, like, how did, how did it, what happened after that? Yeah. I mean, I think it was kind of a similar scenario to like when we first got it, got going, my dad asked me when I was like 13, like to, you know, basically work the kitchen with him. And, you know, I was like, I don't want to do that. I have like friends and like, I want to be a normal kid. And like, what am I going to do on the weekends? Like, I'm never going to get to see my friends. He's like, I don't have another option. Like, mm. this, I, I need your help, you know? And that's like, um, and it was kind of the same thing coming out of school. Like it was, you know, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't leave them behind and, and, you know, they don't know anything else. And so like, there was no, like failure wasn't an option, you know, sure. it really like shutting it down and moving on. Like it just, and that has kind of always been our mentality is just like, failure is not an option. You just keep going and you, and you figure it out. Like, most people actually don't um, like their their businesses don't like fail outright. It's like you end up like deciding you're done, you know, mm-hmm. like you can't yeah. fight anymore, you know. And so that was never really our problem or, you know, it was, it was just like we were going to keep going until it was like there was no I mean, there is no option, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, when did you when did when did it really start turning around? And I know that. Um, I know we've got some questions here for you about the technology too, because I know, and I've, I've seen you and I've heard you in other interviews that you consider yourself a very early adopter of technologies and how that's helped, how that helped run, uh, your company and how it played a, played a hand in the growth and your success. So I'm Mm -hmm. wondering when it really, what was that moment when you really, you said, Hey, we've got something here and we're going to build this into something even bigger. Yeah, it was um, my first original concept. I opened in 2009, which was the Iberian Pig, which is a Spanish tapas concept on the Decatur Square in uh, near Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, it's not a suburb of Atlanta. It's part of the city, but it's just kind of like a neighborhood. And uh, it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, you know, $100,000 initial investment that I had, you know, pieced together. And, you know, we opened it. I, I ended up my general contractor that I had hired to do the job actually stole my initial deposit this is 2009 oh, and no. left town um, after doing demo. So I was like, and it was all oh my, my God. God. I oh put together my, in my name. So then I had like 80 grand to try to open this restaurant. So I actually became the general contractor of the restaurant um, and really bootstrapped it, hired the subs, did some of the deals with subs to have them, you know, barter half of their uh, services. So in like future gift cards of the restaurant. So, I mean, at the time there were a lot of people out of work and so it actually worked out well. There there are people that are willing to do kind of that work now. They're like, you know, pay me double for what I was doing, you know, like six months ago, but Mm -hmm. um, that's a different story altogether. And then I knew knew we had something because night one, we opened the restaurant and we got slaughtered. It was like 200 covers. We had had no expectation um, that we were gonna be successful. And it just like steamrolled from there. And because we had, you know, we, we, we bootstrapped it. So 
we didn't have any debt. The, it was an amazing deal with a landlord and like all the things lined up and we had no managers. So we were doing the work ourselves as well. So the restaurant was wildly profitable and I, and I never had experienced that up until that point. And mm-hmm. so that was what really um, catapulted the company into the future growth. And then, you know, since then we've done a number of restaurants. So we're at, we just opened our eighth restaurant last night. Wow. Oh, congratulations. Well, last we night, our, you're still talking to us? Yeah, oh, heck we, I know yeah. We did our, um, have you slept? Did our, have you slept or are you still? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was going to yeah. say, I can't believe we have get to talk to you today. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's why I was, you know, I was running a little late, but, um, you know, we did our first, I was like, first you're a chipper, like, uh, you have a voice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was gonna yeah. Say, when I, the last few times I've opened stuff, it's, it's, I do not look like you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, things have changed a little bit. It's not quite as much on my shoulders as it once was. So we're starting to transition yeah. some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, we did our first mock services. Less, less contracting work for yourself. Yeah. yeah. We did, uh, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, uh, the restaurant's called Mujo, uh, which is a omakase sushi restaurant. So it's a 15 seat, uh, sushi bar with a six seat cocktail bar and an eight seat private dining room with a chef that I partnered with from New York city that I recruited down here during the pandemic. So that's a whole other crazy story as to why that restaurant, uh, became, uh, a thing, but we, uh, we did our first, uh, services last night, which was incredible. It was like everything that I hoped it, it would be. And I think it's going to be pretty cool for Atlanta. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's awesome. So Federico, I've noticed in previous interviews, you consider yourself a bit of an early adopter when it comes to technology and bringing things in. God knows in the last couple of years, that's been become more of a necessity than I think it was before because of COVID and things like that, but also just because of what's available and the, the cost infrastructure is very different. But um, I was wondering if you could tell us like what exactly have you found like going from someone who's seen this stuff, you know, what I imagine was like the nineties, uh, uh, through the two thousands and today, uh, what technology has played the most instrumental roles in your companies and your restaurants growth and success? Yeah. So I'm like generally, a uh, a fan of technology and the intersection between like our business and tech. And I, I think there, there's some interesting things happening there. Like the way I get into it is, uh, while I was opening my second or third restaurant in Atlanta, I co-founded a uh, app um, that allowed you to uh, thank your servers and bartenders at restaurants. Uh, it was like a positive Yelp, positive only Yelp um, with a couple of guys here in town. And I, it kind of cut my teeth on like what it's like to like start a, um, a technology company in a tech startup. And it was, it was really fascinating. It was kind of like a, MBA and like how these things get done. And it ultimately didn't work out, but it introduced me to like a ton of people in that space. And it's also led to like a lot of really great early stage investments. Like one was um, Gather. They were a, a local company here in Atlanta that were founded um, that does like private event management software and uh, something that, you know, we, we didn't even have a, a good solution for at the time. And so the founder and I became close friends and I invested in his company and then they sold and then uh, recently merged with triple seat. It was a really great outcome for everybody involved, but it kind of like opened my eyes to like how the stuff gets built and how it interacts with our businesses and what makes for something successful. And um, so, you know, the last couple of years, I think obviously the adoption of technology has just been incredible. Um, totally. But yeah, I think that, it's also 
I try to evaluate these things really on like two primary factors. Like one is like, does it make the lot, the life of the restaurant manager better? Like, is there a substantial um, benefit to them? Because if there's a benefit to them, they have more time to do other things. They're going to be better at their job. Um, and, and they're going to want to use this product or service. And so there's a value there. The second piece is like some economic impact, whether that's a, on the cost side or on the sales side, and that it's tangible and quantifiable. Uh, and so I look for hopefully both of those things in something new. If it doesn't really satisfy either of those things, it's not interesting. If it only satisfies one of them, it has to satisfy that one thing in a really significant way in mm-hmm. order for us to adopt it. Um, and so I'll give you an example. Like when we hit COVID, like we realized that we, at least in my my view, we had a, a sales issue, not a cost issue. So like almost every restaurateur out there, especially the multi-unit restaurant groups like mine, looked at it like it was a cost problem. They're like, we have to lay everybody off. We have to shut down the restaurants. Yeah. And we have to get into conserve mode because we don't know what's going to happen. My view on it was like, there's 350 million people in this country and they're going to eat somehow. And they're not all going to go to the grocery store every day and cook every meal. So like somebody's going to have to figure out how to feed all these people because our supply chain can't handle it. So we're not going to, so we never laid off our employees. We never closed. We were able, we spun up our own e-commerce stores. We ran our own deliveries outside of the delivery apps, at least initially while we were getting loaded onto all delivery apps. Because it was something that we we hadn't done previously. We never even did really takeout at any of the restaurants. Um, but then I realized, okay, now that we have these new takeout businesses, everyone else is closed. We're actually doing pretty decent because the high end of the market was like not really being addressed, and people wanted to have nice dinners at home and drink wine and like you know booze themselves to death in their sorrows of the early pandemic, you know. Yeah. And so it it worked out well, but we also realized like in order to really make this business successful. We need to generate more sales. And so we did, I was basically trying to figure out how do we bring more customers in? And the best way we do that is through directly contacting our customers through email or social. Um, But there was a channel that we weren't using, which was text messaging. And so I went out and was like, we have almost a million phone numbers in our database amongst all the restaurants. And so I started looking for companies and I was connected, uh, to the CEO of a company locally called Voxy through another friend, which was like an early stage investment connection. And their uh, product was really unique because it's conversational. Um, So you can text back and forth with people and like develop a relationship. It's from a 10 digit number. You're able to get multimedia so you can get photos or videos and you can just like make the messaging more interesting than just like the terrible spam you get, like the political spam you get, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) Um, And so... So that was, a, and, and as soon as we adopted that, it was crazy. We would send a text message out and we'd have a line out, out the door of the restaurant, like in, with cars for takeout. And so like, that was one example of a piece of technology addressing the sales side of it or the economic impact in a really major way for us. Um, and so since then we've like continued to do that. Obviously it's different now that like COVID has subsided, takeout is, is much reduced, but it's still a great way to like communicate with people. It sounds like your company's, you and your company's fluency in technology has influenced a lot of your strategy and thinking and how you are going to survive this and thrive through the pandemic. And it sounds like some of it you've even kept on. We're yeah, well, that's that's my other question too, is because with my places as well, like we had to adapt, uh, you know, out of necessity. 
but then you realize, you know, we've been through a couple other major disasters before, and we were we were always learning that the real thing is you should put things back uh, where they always should have been, not where they were. Is like, is there what have you found technology wise, and also just like operationally, how much have you changed after COVID that you see yourself kind of perpetuating going forward? Because I know a lot of places are like, why would I go back to this? Not just because you know, we're, we're not seeing the tattered ends of the, of the pandemic here, but also because it just makes more sense for business. Yeah. It's interesting. I think I've, I've been like really amazed to see how much people love restaurants. Like that to me has been like the, really the, the biggest takeaway from this whole thing Mm -hmm. is like our businesses are way more resilient than I thought they were. Like I thought, you know, there was going to be some wave that comes over crash and like, just like my dad, everything was going to fail and, and I'd be out of a job. So that was kind of like always in the back of my head that that was going to happen. And then, you know, we had this crisis and, and we, I realized how, how resilient we really were, how resilient our teams were. But at the end of the day, people love restaurants. They love being in restaurants. They love the social connectivity restaurants. They love the energy, the ambiance, the lights, the music, like having a glass of wine in a nice glass, like all those little details where people love and that's not going away. And mm-hmm. it's, it's never, it's never going away. It doesn't matter. Like, how many restrictions you put on people like they are going to figure out a way to get that experience um, ultimately. And so that's kind of what I've realized. And so technology and all the things we've done, I think it's really just about facilitating that experience. How can we make that experience better for people and make it fade into the background where like you don't even know that the, that that technology exists. I think the most frustrating thing is when you're actually interfacing with the technology and like not a human and it's a frustrating experience like i went to a bar taco not that long ago and there are no servers there anymore but you sit down at a table and then you have to pull up your phone and then go to a website not even an app go to a website place your order on a website check out through that website for that entire order put your credit card information in and your address then hit send and then your food magically appears like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes later from a food runner. It's like, to me, that's like a horrible experience. And so I don't think that's going to yeah. continue. Um, I think that you want technology that's just going to fade into the background and support the thing that people really want to do, which is be with each other, have drinks and delicious food in a cool environment with yeah. great lighting, great music, great people. Like that's what it's all about. Agree on the lighting. No, I feel that that's, <laughs> I think did we if we learned nothing over the last two years, it's the uh, human interaction can be pretty great. And, and and also technology can also fulfill needs that we didn't know it had, but also can also overstep its bounds. That's right. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've had all of these experiences. What's something that you've learned that you wish you knew when you first started running a restaurant or a piece of advice you'd give to someone else that's entering this space today? Yeah. So I think the thing that I've learned the most is like probably a majority of the success of your business is determined before you even open the doors. Mm. So I thought you were going to say duck if a pan is being thrown at your head. Yeah, 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 probably. Like, <laughs> just kidding. That's that's just intuitive. That's just a reflex. You know? <laughs> that's just a reflex. So yeah, that doesn't need to be advice. Yeah. You know, that's a natural reflex to not die. Um, so, but yeah, you know, like there's there's so many lessons there, and like because I've I've opened you know eight restaurants now, some more successful than others, mm-hmm. and I just realize how much um, is built in to the success of a restaurant before you even open the doors and, and like 
the your ability to affect change uh, once it's open is actually quite limited based on your performance. Like, you know, you obviously want to execute at a very high level. That's like what you do. But it also, there's so many other things that um, go along with that. Like, what's the structure of your lease and your business partnership and all these other things that, that go into that? Like, you know, I had a, a business partner that was like my best friend from school. We opened the first restaurant. And, you know, I joke that like business partnerships are like, um, marriages with no sex, they're going to fail eventually. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, you know, I use the exact same word. I use the exact same description it's entirely apt. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I mean, I just think there's, there's so many things you go into it, like pretty naive and you don't realize these, how critical these decisions are before yeah. you ever even get the thing open. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, it's honestly, I feel that it, it is amazing to me how, you can kind of see like if you stumble out of the blocks, it's a very different experience going with something. I'm, I feel very lucky. I also kind of shows I haven't tried to open as many places as you have, but seeing uh, friends go into this, who know what they're doing. You can still mess up those first couple of weeks, a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And it's just that you really can't recover sometimes. Yeah. And it's scary to think that, but um, so I guess uh, on that note, <laughs> um, we've had a couple of crazy years behind us, but you've, you know, that's just a drop in the bucket compared to everything you've seen. So I imagine you probably have a, a bigger picture outlook on what's to come. Like the industry in the next few years is going to be kind of weird. I think we're, we're through some of the weirdest parts, but something's going to linger. And do you think, are there any challenges that stick out in your mind that are going to be, you know, we're going to be dealing with for a little longer? Or what do you think is going to be the next set of problems that comes when we start to shift back to more, like real normal times? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think it's, it's kind of regional. Um, at this point, because I've, you know, I was in San Francisco not that long ago and the restaurants were like dead on a Friday and Saturday night. And like the Uber driver oh. was telling me he used to make, you know, a thousand bucks on a Saturday night and now he's making 300. Um, and so oh, I think, wow. and in Atlanta, it's like, you know, our problems are not the um, demand side. It's the, it's staffing and, you know, keeping people healthy in the restaurants so that we don't mm -hmm. have, you know, COVID cases. So people are out for five or 10 days and then you can't staff your already thinly staffed restaurant and then people have to close. I think that like we're pretty close to a point where the, these types of issues are going to be like mitigated largely. I think mm -hmm. the cha the big challenge that I see long-term for the industry is like, there will always be this layer of like, line level to me where like the restaurant business is attractive like for servers and bartenders and line cooks you're young and it's fun and you're with your friends and it's late nights and drinking and you have the whole day to your you can sleep the whole day if you want or you could like have another job or you could write your book or you could be an actor all these things that you can do as a young person uh in the in this business but what i worry about is the people choosing this as their career and that's that's where I see it thinning out, and and that's the the area where we're trying to address it the most. And it's about burnout, it's about work life balance, it's about being conducive to having a family, like all of these issues. The childcare system in this country is not set up for people that have night jobs. You know, it's like the whole deck is stacked against you if you're not a nine to fiver, basically. Like, and so. I think that is probably our biggest struggle. And like, I want people to be able to choose our industry 
and and be happy with that choice and not feel like they they gave up on a on a significant portion of their life uh, in order to do so, whether that's family or friends or just time doing other things. And so we're starting to try to think about ways that we can do that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like we're piloting a four and a half day work week at some of the at one of the stores. We're doing like a rotating um, three day weekend, like in addition to PTO um, that would just schedule a manager three day weekend every month on the whole, the whole team. Um, so we're starting to think about ways that we can do that because I just having been in it as long as I have now, like I see myself getting tired and I'm like, I'm, I got to figure out a way to do this for a lot longer than I've already done it. So it's not just for like the owners of these businesses. It's like, we have to figure out a sustainable model for all the people in it that want to call it a career, you know? Um, and I, and that's where I worry about it the most is that, is that Mm -hmm. management level? Um, because I think the line level piece is attractive to a lot of people still kind of nailed it on the conversations about like, we want to, we rely so heavily culturally and it seems like just practically now on this industry, um, we should normalize and legitimize the process that people like there's professionals that want to stick in this industry. We should give them the means Mm -hmm. to do it. So it seems like that's part of the biggest conversation I keep having with people. So I feel like we're on the same page there. Well, and when you said this is a like for those that want to make this a career, I think that's a good word. And I feel like we've heard this a lot from folks. Um, you're actually the first person we've had on the show that's testing out this four and a half day work week. I know we, we hear about this with a lot of tech companies, but I haven't heard this yet in the restaurant space. And then I also know that like the paid time off, all of that as well. But um, it sounds like what you're doing is pretty progressive. I'll be interested to hear uh, how it all goes. You have to come back. It was met with a, it was met with a very cool response. I will say that. Oh from yeah. The teams, they're like, "There's no way this is going to work." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "I aim to prove you wrong." All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. This was awesome. Before you go, we would like to do a five, a quick fire round of questions with you. It's like the first thing that comes to your head. We've got five questions for you. I'll start us off. This is the tasting menu portion of season two. Uh, most exciting celebrity you've ever had in one of your restaurants? Um, Robert Downey Jr. dining with uh, Scarlett Johansson, who at the time, I didn't even wow. know Scarlett was at the table. And so I was acting all cool, talking to RDJ like I like was super smooth. And then he was like, oh, and this is Scarlett. And I looked down and it's like smoking hot Scarlett <laughs> Johansson. And I literally wow. like, I couldn't get any <laughs> words out of my mouth. It was just like literally <laughs> gibberish, like nothing. And I was wow. like, oh, this is embarrassing. Okay, I'll see you later. Nice to meet you. Nothing like Scarlett Johansson out of left. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Totally, yeah. totally. Okay. she had one of those hair, crazy haircuts for the Avengers or something like that. So anyway. Uh-huh. You didn't recognize oh, her. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Food you can't live without. Mushrooms. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Any in particular? No, I mean, it's like it, the question it gets asked, if there's one food that you could not live without for the rest of your life, I would choose mushrooms because they're so versatile. They're like, they're almost, yeah. they're vegetable, but they're almost meat. And there's so much variety and there's so much you can do with them. It's just, it's everything. Hey Amen. I feel exactly the yeah. same way. <laughs> I mean, work, I work, obviously I, I work in the innovation hub and I, we explore a lot of the future of the food and the beverage scene. And I can't tell you how many mushroom jerkies I've tasted in the last few weeks and mushroom burgers and mushroom protein, this <laughs> yeah. and that mushroom, uh, chips, everything. So that's not a bad answer. Uh, yeah, I know. And if, if it's the only thing you can have for the rest of your life, you can also get high. Having too, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. 
Excellent yeah. point. Excellent your point. words, yeah. your words, not mine. Okay, technology, yeah. yeah. a piece of technology you can't live without in your restaurant. I actually really like Avero, which is weird. It's like a, it's it it kind of like connects all of our disparate systems and gives us like data we can use, and it basically helps us run the accounting department. So yeah, I. I that sounds well, pretty not very sexy. No, but that sounds like a yeah. really no, that's very practical. That's yeah, very yeah. efficient. Uh, okay, two more here. Place you've never been but would love to visit. Oh man, I have so many of these, but uh, definitely Copenhagen. Oh, that's a good mm-hmm. option. Mine's Zach's bar. One day I'll make it out there. Uh, Post COVID, it'll happen. <laughs> You're invited to Frederico. Yes. You're in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, I'm coming. We got a lot of Danish beers, so we'll make yeah. it to Tenerife. Yeah, I'm, I'm good for a one And maybe talk to Visa if it's over the summer. Yeah, I'll fly anywhere. Yeah, for there one you day, go. So you let me know. I'll be <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and the last one is best advice you've ever received. Best advice I've ever received. Oh man, I mean, there's so much here, and it's it's definitely. Um, it's got to be from my dad. I mean, he was just constantly dropping wisdom on me, like all the time growing up. <laughs> He's got the wisdom oh, bombs going all the time. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I think that like he taught me that like you always put your family first, and like especially mm-hmm. like when it came to like our education. Like I knew that he was literally taking cash out of the bank account to take it to our school and like bouncing checks because of that. And so like, he always like, Mm -hmm. whatever it was, he like put us first and like himself last, you know what I mean? And so that was like, uh, it was, it was a great role model, like growing up seeing that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. This was a great conversation. We had so much fun. Yeah, yeah seriously, awesome. Frederick, thank yeah. you so much. And congratulations on your, on your new yeah, restaurant opening. Yeah, can we come to Lanny to Momkase? Thanks, thanks. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's, it's going to be – it's a cool experience. It's definitely unique uh, for this city. So um, we're pretty awesome. stoked about yeah. it. Yeah. And, and you're going to have to tell me where your place is. i got to go yeah, to your place. you are always so invited. i got to make a trip. you got to go to New York yeah. for Zach. It's called Dragon Manhattan, you know. It's a real one-horse town, but – Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Want to hear more listeners? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, food service industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, like how to digitize your space, how to work with food influencers, the latest on restaurant relief, and more interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for their free weekly newsletter, eat.news. Back of House has a team of food service industry writers and journalists who cut through the noise and give you the headlines that you really need to see each week. This is honestly one of the best weekly food service focused newsletters I've ever read or seen, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore podcast and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms. 